Um, we are currently in the New Testament book of Acts, and we are preaching through that book. That is our normal rhythm here at Center Church to preach through books of the Bible. And so we are currently in Acts chapter 6. So that's where we're going to be today. So if you've got a Bible or a device, if you want to turn there or swipe there, you can go ahead and do that. Otherwise, you'll also be able to follow along on the screen behind me. So today in Acts 6 is, is more of a build-up to next week. So, and next week is one of the darker stories in the book of Acts, uh, a story that maybe will put a lump in our throats a little bit. Uh, and I mentioned last week how Acts 6 is a bit of a transition uh, from what has been happening and what's going to happen. So I spoke last week about how spiritual authority was moving from the formal religious leaders in Israel to now the 12 apostles that Jesus had selected to lead his church. And this is a dramatic shift that's causing major waves in Israel's religious life. So previously, back at the beginning of Acts, God's Spirit had come and rested on a group of Jesus' followers. But this had happened in a random house where they were gathered. And this was significant Because God was meeting with his people in a location that was not the temple. So historically, God had come and he had met with his people in the temple. That's where his presence had come and manifested itself. But in the beginning of Acts, what we find is he comes and he meets with his people in this house. And then we also saw an individual being healed miraculously. And this occurred, strangely enough, just outside the gates of the temple. Okay, so typically we would think this kind of activity would happen within the temple area. But this was occurring outside of the gates of the temple. And so these are details that maybe we would just read over at times, but the location of where these things were happening was significant because it was highlighting the loss of influence that was occurring for the religious leaders in Israel. And what we found thus far, what we're going to continue to find, is this enraged the religious leaders. They hated this. And this loss of influence, this shift in authority is going to be highlighted in the verses that we're looking at today as well. So let me read the verses that we're looking at. Acts 6, we're going to begin in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. 
And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these stories that remind us of what is important. And ultimately, what's most important is Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. And so we get stories like this one of Stephen, as it's going to lead ultimately to a disastrous reality for him. But it's this transition stage here, and we see the setup that's happening with his life that leads ultimately to his death. And so would you help us in the course of these verses to be able to see your grace, to be able to rest in, hear the call to rest in your grace in these moments together. Also, God, would you please just poke our hearts in ways that we need to be pricked personally? Would you help us to see that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is just that, that it is good news and it is our greatest need? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to begin this morning with an introduction to Stephen and just make some observations about him. So we first heard about Stephen last week, and he was described in the verses we read last week as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so his faith is explicitly in Jesus. He's full of faith in Jesus. And then part of the reason we know this is that it also says that he's full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the gift that God gave through Jesus to his church. When Jesus ascended to go to heaven, he left his Holy Spirit to come and live in those that he had saved. We also know that Stephen is basically the first deacon, which means he was responsible for carrying out various tasks within the life of the church as set forth by the leaders of Jesus' church. Stephen was also a Jewish Christian. And we read in verse 8 that he was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs. And then it goes on to explain how this activity has gotten him under the microscope and in trouble with the religious leaders in Israel. So, so the religious leaders being the old guard, okay? The formal religious leaders. And part of what's caught the attention of others is the fact that he is doing signs and wonders. So most likely, his signs and wonders is including some form of healing, as that's been one of the hallmarks of signs and wonders already as it's been talked about in the book of Acts thus far. And one interesting aspect about this is Stephen, he's not one of the main spiritual leaders in the church, right? He's not one of, like, the overseers, the elders, He's not one of them, and yet we are seeing God's power working in his life and through his life. And this speaks to the reality of how God chooses to work in and through his church. Okay, so you don't need to be a pastor to have God's power reside in you. God's Spirit can profoundly work in and through your life if you are believing in Jesus and His Holy Spirit is living in you. What we've previously learned about the religious leaders in Israel would suggest that 
this activity by Stephen would greatly agitate them. And the reason for this is because Stephen wasn't educated in the same way. He hadn't made the same career choices or displayed the same types of religious zeal or discipline as the religious leaders had. He didn't have a group of students following him around like those who taught in the temple or who were part of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin within Jewish religion. And this infuriated the temple authorities to the point that they wanted to question Stephen and to examine the signs and the wonders that he was doing. And we've noticed in previous sermons, this is agitating to the religious leaders because it's threatening their power. It's threatening their control. And ultimately, this is threatening their lifestyle. They love their position. They love being important and looking important and having people look at them and look to them. They love the lifestyle that this affords them. And they don't like the idea of this being taken away from them. So Stephen is a threat because, as it says in verse 8, he is full of power. And if he is healing people or casting out evil spirits from people, he's engaging in activity that would make the religious leaders jealous. Because if they could do this, people would be coming to them, right? And people have come to them ritually over and over throughout the years, and yet they're still sick. They still need this healing, and so they found themselves going to these other individuals, the individuals that Jesus has put in these places of authority in his church. One more phrase I want to hone in on here, and I think this really amps up the anger of those questioning Stephen. It says that he was full of grace, okay? So grace is, by definition, undeserved favor, okay? Grace is an unearned gift, So Stephen's life had been profoundly marked by Jesus. And this means his life had been profoundly marked by grace. He is fully aware that Jesus' salvation, that his forgiveness of sins was a gift given to him by Jesus. Jesus didn't look at Stephen and say, oh, look at all these impressive things that he's doing. No, salvation, forgiveness of sins have been given to Stephen unearned, undeserved. It's grace. It's God's kindness being extended to him. And this has shaped him. He likely is engaged with healing undeserved people. Signs and wonders were done towards people who were not worthy of receiving them. He's been kind to people who've been unkind to others. He's loved people who are unlovely in the eyes of others. And what we've learned already in Acts is this is really offensive to law-based people. Okay, And the religious leaders in Jewish religion are law-based people. This is what they are all about. They are flaunting their ability to obey rules, to keep laws. And the fact that Stephen is referred to as being full of grace sets him as contra to everything that they are about. And it's also for us, it really sets up this section of verses 
really well, this idea that Stephen is full of grace. So let's keep that in mind as we continue to walk through this. Okay, a quick word on Stephen's opponents, at least initially his opponents. They're described here as the synagogue of the freedmen. Okay, most of us probably don't have any concept of what that means for us when we're just reading this in Acts. So these are Jewish people who had gained a form of freedom. Now, there's disagreement as to what type of freedom that might have looked like. So some people say they'd been slaves of the Romans. Others would say that they'd been uh, just some general form of slaves. But it really doesn't matter for us you know, what kind of slaves they were. Either way, they have experienced a form of freedom. They've been set free. And then, when they've been set free, they begin to teach the Jewish religion. Okay? Now, it's unclear whether the list of Cyrenians and Alexandrians and Cilicia and Asia, if these are references to other synagogues of the freedmen, like there's multiple synagogues, or if there was just one of these synagogues. But what's clear is all of these individuals are aligned very closely with the Jewish religion, with the idea of obeying God's law. And they are taking issue with Stephen's teaching that is full of grace. So it says that they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. Okay? We talk often here at Center Church about law versus grace, law versus gospel. That's what they're disputing right here. The fact that he is teaching grace in the face of what they perceive as most important being law. And then it continues. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. We've talked about this a number of times in this series in Acts. This emphasis on God and His Spirit and His work, okay? So, as humans, it's really easy for us to want to take credit for good things, right? I, I used an example earlier. I coach youth basketball, right? And when my team does really well, I want to take credit for that, right? But when they're playing really poorly, it's really easy for me to say, well, it's them, right? And I want to kind of distance myself. Like, it's just easy for us when things go well, to want to attach ourselves and our success to that. But notice here again, we get this example. They are raising up Jesus, okay? The work of the Spirit. It's not about Stephen. It's about God and His Spirit. And ultimately, this comes back to Jesus and His Church, But because these freedmen were unable to contend with Stephen, or we would say unable to contend with God's Spirit, what they did then is they instigated. They stirred up the religious leaders. Now, these freedmen provide a little bit of a lesson for us. Just because we call ourselves something doesn't mean we are. These men, these people, are not free in the way that they think they are free. They're not free in the way that they need to be freed. Their wisdom has proven to be limited. Their power is seen to be limited. They are not free from anger. They are not free from jealousy. We could say they are very much not free 
in a number of ways. They are bound up. And so it's no surprise that we find them essentially equating Moses to God. Okay, Moses was known for giving Israel the Ten Commandments and many other laws that Israel was instructed to obey. And the idea was, in the Old Testament, obey God's law and you will be blessed. But the other side of that was, disobey God's law and you'll be cursed. And the, the bad news in all of this is that Israel proved over and over they were really bad at obeying God's law. Okay? And so they continually were calling God's curse upon themselves. So the first accusation that the freedmen make against Stephen is this, that he is speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Okay? Not just God, right? But Moses and God. And this is important for us to understand. And the fact that they're going to hold up the law speaks to this fact of that Moses is going to be too important in their eyes. Now, we aren't told specifically what these blasphemous words are, but we can make a pretty good guess given the emphasis on Stephen being full of grace and then what they accuse Stephen of lying about or Stephen of saying. So they also say about Stephen this, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Okay, so when it's talking about the holy place there, it's talking about the temple. Okay, so they are not liking how Stephen is speaking against the temple and the law that was instituted by Moses. So the issue is that Stephen is speaking in a way that these opponents feel he's against these things that they hold dear. They feel he's against Moses and the customs that Moses had put in place. So I think a reasonable question for us as we're reading this then is, is Stephen against the law? Is Stephen actually against the temple? Is he against Moses? Because we did read in here that they brought about false witnesses, right? So are they just lying about him or is is Stephen actually against these things? And the answer to that question is, Yes and no. He is, in one sense, against these things. But in another sense, he's not against these things. So he's against any of these things functioning as a form of salvation. Okay? Stephen knows that the law will not save anyone. No one can obey God's law and thus save themselves. So he's against people living in such a way that they try to gain salvation by keeping the law. That's a lie. It can't happen. But he's not fully opposed to the law. He understands that Jesus has fulfilled the law. Okay? But when Jesus does that, when he obeys the law, what he does is he does away with the law. So Jesus then becomes the new law. So in the New Testament book of Hebrews, it talks about the law becoming obsolete. Okay? So Jesus keeps the law, but then that law becomes obsolete. Okay? So Christians today, Christians in the first century, were not Christians because they kept the Ten Commandments. 
They were Christians. We are Christians because we trust in the one who kept the Ten Commandments, who obeyed the law, who did what we can never do. That's right. But Stephen is going to demonstrate next week how Moses and all of Israelite history show our need for Jesus and the culmination of Stephen's story. So this story, though, today gives us a really helpful illustration of the struggle that's being felt in these early days of Jesus' church. People have heard of this Jesus. They've seen powerful works done by Jesus and done by his followers. They are aware of Jesus' resurrection. But these so-called freedmen cannot let go of the temple. They cannot let go of the law. They believe that acceptance is found in that location of the temple. They believe God's approval is found in their strict obedience to God's law. They are unwilling to be convinced by Jesus and his teaching. And there's a warning for us in this as well. Because there are things in our own lives, we could say religiously or not, that we hold dear as well. There are things in our lives that we hold as vital, that we say are key to our flourishing, or we could say are key to our faithfulness to God. But these things are not Jesus. Jesus must be primary. The call that we get in the gospel over and over is that we must be convinced by Jesus. He must be preeminent over everything in our lives. He's not subsidiary. He's not supplementary. He is everything. Everything is intended to orient around Jesus. This is why we talk about the gospel week after week here at Center Church why we never want to get to the end of it or move, move beyond the gospel. Because the gospel is the thing. It's the good news of Jesus. This is what we need to orient ourselves around week after week, day after day, hour after hour. Jesus is everything. And when we begin to hold things as sacred that are not Jesus, as these freedmen honored Moses similar to God, We put ourselves in a similar place of danger because we're holding up a thing, a person that's unable to hold up under the pressure of worship. Only Jesus can handle the weight of worship. Everything else in life will disappoint us. An Xbox, okay? An Xbox ultimately is going to break. It's going to flame out. You'll get tired of the games that you're playing. Okay? An Xbox cannot handle worship. Our favorite food. Okay? Maybe you've got like a meal that you feel like you could eat over and over and over. And I would say you would get tired of that. Or you would eat so much of it you'll give yourself a bellyache. Right? You will get sick of it. Like, food cannot handle the weight of worship. A spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend 
will crumble under the expectation that they have to fulfill your desires. That they have to be Jesus to you, in a sense. Sports will eventually lead to the breaking down of our bodies. There's nothing in this world that can sustain the weight of worship, the pressure of worship. Only Jesus can. So part of the danger in all of this is we will listen to what we want to hear. We'll create a narrative for ourselves. In this story, in Acts 6, people were found to say false things about Stephen. We will find a perspective that suits us. We will create a narrative that we want to hear. And this is why we must relentlessly keep finding our way back to Jesus. It only matters what he says. It only matters how something is in relation to him. So if we ever find ourselves doing what's being done in these verses, which is adding God to something else, okay? God plus law, God plus Moses, God plus temple. In us, it's going to look, for us today, it's going to look a little differently, right? It's going to be Jesus plus whatever, maybe a hobby or a house or promotion or money or whatever, but it's adding those things to Jesus. We have to stop and assess. This is the equation, the only correct equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is also why we have community as a core value here at Center Church. You are not enough. You are not enough on your own. You need to be in relationship with others. And I would say your spouse is not even enough if you're married. You need more than your spouse as well. Jesus gave us his church so that we could be in relationship with people who then can speak into our lives, people that we can confess our sins to, that we can acknowledge we are not enough. We need help. Because all of us will tend to start adding things to Jesus. All of us will, myself included. I need people speaking into my life as well. There's no one who stands on a pedestal. It's only Jesus. Okay, so we end our sermons here at Center Church with what we call gospel application. Okay? So we don't get to the end of our sermons and just have application. Okay? The idea in this is that if we give you three or four things to do when you leave here today, that you then can hang your hat on and say, okay, this will prove that I'm a good Christian, that that will, that will wear you down and it will overburden you. Because if it's three times every week, it's 156, right? It's 156 in a year. Nobody can handle 156 things on their to-do list to please Jesus, okay? That, that won't work, okay? What makes Christianity Christian is Jesus. He is the one who saves us. We don't walk out of here skipping with good news because we're thinking about all the things we need to do. We walk out of here with a skip in our step because we've been reminded 
Jesus has done this for me. He is the good news. And so we treasure Him. We cling to Him. We hold dear to Him, not to ourselves. We want to have open hands with ourselves, and we want to cling to Jesus. Maybe more appropriately, we want to understand how Jesus clings to us. So three points of gospel application for us this morning. First of all, Jesus has changed the traditions. Some might look at Jesus' life and the fact that he came and he taught and he taught certain things and think that he just flippantly changed the rules to suit himself. But you know that that's not the case, right? He changed the traditions by fulfilling the law, by fulfilling the customs that Moses had instituted. And we know he didn't just do this for his own pleasure because it involved suffering. It led to his death. It wasn't easy. But he then changed the traditions by calling people to trust in him rather than themselves. Okay? Old Covenant, Old Testament, the call to obey the Ten Commandments was a call to trust in yourself. And God was kind enough to give us those things to reveal to us we can't do that sufficiently. Okay? That's why he gave us the Ten Commandments. To show us we are insufficient and to then show us Jesus is sufficient for us. So the call then is to trust in his works rather than trying to do the impossible and make our own works acceptable in God's eyes. Jesus has changed the traditions and this is good news for us. So then, what sets us free is the gospel. Believing the good news of Jesus. We should take note what the message of the freedmen leads to. For Stephen, the message that they preach led to him being seized. Okay? And yes, the gospel also played a part in leading Stephen to this point. But we'll get a really clear picture next week of the freedom found in Stephen. But the freedmen... Their message led to not freedom for Stephen. But we've also looked at their lives. They were not free. The freedmen, ironically, are not free, right? They're bound up by anger. They're bound up by jealousy. They're bound up by looking at Stephen and the other uh, individuals in Jesus' early church, and they can't do what they can do. what they needed was Jesus. And that's what Stephen's going to preach to them next week as well, what he's going to lay before them. The freedmen needed true freedom, which is only found in Jesus. Lastly, like Peter, we also can be full of grace. This is an invitation made by Jesus, an invitation to just gaze at him, to look at him. As Peyton talked about in the, in the gospel primer at the beginning of, our, of the service, an invitation to rest in grace, to look at how Jesus is full of grace towards us, not just one time, but over and over. You and I are unimpressive, 
unimpressive sinners. Jesus looks at us knowing all of our sinfulness and he offers us forgiveness. He offers you and I welcome into his family. Not just to live down the street, but in his house. And so the invitation is, again, let Jesus take hold of you and fill you with grace. This isn't a to-do. It's you receiving what Jesus offers so that this then would be the refrain of our lives. As people would encounter us, that they would say, we are full of grace. I hope, I long, I pray for this. I think about my kids. If anyone will see me not full of grace, it's them. And my hope is that as they grow up to be adults, and I'm far from perfect with this, but that they would be able to say that their dad was full of grace. Not because I've mustered this by trying so hard, but, but, but because I realize I can't do this in and of myself. I need Jesus. And so I keep looking to him over and over and over, gazing at Jesus, looking at his cross, trusting in him to do what I cannot do in my own strength.